Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I am here with my co-host. Gypsy, and today we have Dan McRory. He is the author of several books, including his latest one, You Will Forever Be My Always. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks. It's a pleasure having you. Glad to be here. Anytime I get a chance to uh, talk about uh, my favorite things, which are my books. (laughs) I'll do it. So before we get into your books, can you tell us a little bit about like where you're from and what led up to you writing the books that you have? Well, I uh, am from L.A., but uh, as I mentioned, uh, it took me 20 years to get home. I lived uh, in Texas for 10 years and Colorado for 10 years, and then I came back here and I've been here ever since. And uh, I've always been a writer. I wrote my first story when I was 11. The teacher read it to the class and I was hooked. Okay. And that's when you're writing visions. That's, yeah, that's play. when I started writing. But it wasn't until I retired from AT&T uh, 11 years ago that I said, well, it's time to do what I have always wanted to do. And I started writing books. So um, when you left Los Angeles and went to Texas, what is it like growing up in Texas? What was, what I was in a small town of 4,500 people. I lived on, uh, literally on the wrong side of the tracks, <laughs> and I uh, got beat up a lot. And as soon as I got a chance to li- uh, move to Colorado and live with my grandmother and go to high school, and with lots more opportunities, I jumped. Okay. So what about Colorado? Tell us about the switch from Texas to Colorado. It was You say you, you jumped after that, so it must have been an amazing move for you. Yeah, when I was 15, uh, that's when I moved, and... Uh, I've realized I, I get to start my life all over again. So I got to pick who my friends were. And mm. I would just go up to somebody in, in school and say, hey, let's hang out. And uh, it was amazing that uh, I went back for a high school reunion a few years ago. And I suddenly realized that uh, all my friends followed me. I was like the, the one that brought everybody together. And I had mm. never realized that when I was growing up. But uh, I got tired of shoveling snow in order to go to work and mm. said this is kind of counterproductive. So I decided to move back to uh, L.A. Okay. Yeah, I used to live in Minnesota. So oh, yeah. after that, I'm like, anywhere where it doesn't snow, that's where yeah. I want to be. Well, it's another way of saying, you know, if I can conquer this, I can conquer anything, right? Basically, yeah. yeah. So for our listeners and our viewers, we are in downtown L.A. This is where we're recording. So... Back here in L.A., how long have you been back in L.A. now? Since uh, 1980. 1980. So how much has downtown L.A. or L.A. in general changed since? Downtown used to be a ghost town. Uh, Nobody stayed here after dark. They just abandoned the inner city to go out to the suburbs, and that's where everybody lived. And uh, I'm glad to see that uh, some people, CD leaders, had of a greater vision for downtown L.A. And now we've got the Staples. I guess it's not called Staples Center anymore. It's now called uh, Crypto. Crypto.com. There you go. It's yeah. a strange name. <laughs> sounds so, like something out of 1984, you know. Um, but uh, I'm glad to see that uh, there's breweries. There's all sorts of things you can do downtown now after dark. And uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, the suburbs uh, haven't gotten any better, though. So uh, I think we're going to have to work on those next. What do you Home- mean by that? Well, um, the homeless seem to be moving out there in, oh, okay. in big droves, and we have to do something to help those people. And yeah. uh, I, uh, I ran for city council myself 
back in 94 after the Northridge earthquake because I saw how people came together and, and helped each other. Some guy saw my union bumper sticker on my car and he came up to the apartment and he said, is that your bumper sticker? And I said, yes. He says, I'm, I'm a union brother. I'm here to help. Mm. So, uh, you say, so what, what is the union bumper sticker? I'm not familiar with that. Oh, uh, it was just a bumper sticker that said something like communication workers of America, which okay. was my union at the time. And, uh, yeah, uh, union helping union. That's a, that's a big thing that goes way back. So the Northridge okay. earthquake, did you feel that? 1994. Yeah. My building was red tagged. My girlfriend at the time and our dog, uh, I took them to work with me because I, I was supposed to start vacation that day. It was a Martin Luther King day. Mm. And uh, when I got to work, nobody else was there. So I had to make sure that we didn't lose phone service from the San Fernando Valley to the rest of L.A. and the rest of the world. So I, uh, there'd be aftershocks, and I'd dive under the desk for a while. And I'd come out and uh, fix something and uh, go back under the desk. This oh. was during your time when working at AT and T. Yeah, this was nineteen ninety four. Wow. How like was it? How bad was the shock down here? Because I know it was up north in uh, San Francisco. Uh, it was. Oh yeah, San Francisco. Or that was, was it? Major. Wait, North. They Ridge, had theirs right was... before ours. Okay, okay, that's the one I was thinking of. I think. Yeah, this one. Uh, there were pockets. Uh, Sherman Oaks was wiped wiped out pretty much, and uh, they called the Northridge wow. earthquake because. That was the epicenter, and a lot of people lost their homes there. But in my building in Sherman Oaks, we were on the third floor, and the first floor was just pancaked. Mm. And they put a right tag on the building. Uh, I went to uh, work, like I said, all, worked all day. I never saw the sun on that day. Came home. My girlfriend said, <clears throat> there's been a fireman by. He says, clear out of the building. I said, hell with that. I'm too tired. I'm going to bed. And just then there was a knock on the door, and it was them again saying we had to leave. So we spent the night in the back of my truck. Wow. We haven't really felt, we've only been here a few years, and it felt maybe like a, what's that, a six point something. Yeah, it, wasn't it wasn't too bad. Much at all, yeah. Scared me it's a not like it really bit. knocked anything <laughs> over, but we don't really have that type of experience with earthquakes or something new coming from you know, yeah. the south. To tell you the truth, they're happening all the time, but they're so yeah, you low don't and freak, uh, that you don't even feel them. I feel like I may feel them sometime, but just feel like the, maybe the wind is blowing in the building. It's just <laughs> yeah, it doing a little tremor. A lot of these tall buildings now are built on rockers. They're trying to absorb this shock. Mm-hmm. So you may be living in one of those because this looks like a fairly new building. Well, no, I don't I don't think this building is too new. Oh, okay. Um, well, let's just hope. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully, hopefully it's, yeah, it's built well enough. But, yeah, I'm not too sure. I wouldn't say... It's not as new as the one across the street. Gotcha. <laughs> so what inspired you to write the book? Is that your first book? I mean, I know you rinse. Uh, yeah. This book? Uh, you That's your latest eyes. one, right? That's my latest. Yeah. Um, well, I was in lockdown, like everybody else, and, and I'd uh, been in a lot of stores and stuff and seen the slogan, you will forever be my always. And I said, what does that even mean? So um, I decided... I know I'll, I'll write a book and I'll define it for myself. Mm-hmm. And I did. And uh, a lot of people think it's uh, misleading because it sounds so gentle and romantic. It sounds it's like actually about uh, some pretty rough sex in the beginning. And <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I, I do that to show how the guy is transformed by the fact that he gets Parkinson's disease, which mm-hmm. I also have. Okay. 
So is it inspired by your story a little bit or yeah, a little uh, bit. it's mostly fiction? Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's 90% fiction. Uh, there's one guy in it who is a real person. And that's my friend, Brahim, who lives in Morocco. Okay. He insists on I, I use his name. Okay. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Morocco. It's, is that, um, how is that? How does that fit in? Well, like what brought you to Morocco? How does that fit in the whole? Oh, well, some friends wanted to go and visit uh, Spain, Portugal, and then drop down to Morocco for a few days. And they ended up canceling at the last minute. So my wife and I said, we don't need to go to Portugal and Spain. We'll do that some other time. Let's go to Morocco. And we fell in, with, uh, fell in love with it. We thought Thailand was uh, exotic. Morocco blows that away. Plus, mm. I hadn't seen many Americans in the last few decades, I guess because mm. we're so afraid of any country that's uh, predominantly Muslim, and they're 97% Muslim. But those people were so nice, and they would give you sh- literally a shirt off their back. Mm. And I just thought it would fit into the book because um, my main character is a jerk, as you can already tell. Um, I thought he has Parkinson's, but he's uh, fooled around on his wife for years, and and he's uh, not been very nice to his friends either. And he tells everybody, I've got Parkinson's, I'm dying, because he thought that's what it meant. And everybody just blows him off. So he ends up in uh, in, uh, Thailand, and he talks to uh, a... um, Catholic priest, and he talks to a Buddhist monk, and he says, how can I uh, make up for all the bad things I've done during my life? And uh, they come up with solutions, and he says, no, I I can't do that. That would take too long. And so he goes to Morocco um, because his wife's not ready to have him come home yet. And so uh, he um, talks to his friend who's a devout Muslim, and he asks him what he can do, and and then he also meets some Jewish people at a uh, Muslim funeral. And he says, what can I do? And nobody seems to have an answer for him. So he decides that what he's going to do, he's going to go back and uh, to the town he grew up in, Texas, and uh, go on an apology tour. It's kind of mixing a lot of different cultures together and yeah, religions. I, I drove my narrator crazy when I did the audible book because mm-hmm. you had to do all these accents all these different phrases in different languages and uh i think by the end he was ready to kill me <laughs> so it's translated into several languages uh no there's just well there's assalamu alaikum which people mm-hmm. muslim people say and then there was a uh, a traditional uh i won't even try it um way of saying i'm sorry you lost a loved one mm-hmm. that's in yiddish then there's um People talking uh, in Berber, which is uh, mm. an indigenous language in Morocco, and French. There's a poem that this guy is supposed to read. And he says, I can't read French. So mm. the guy reads it to him and, and translates. So okay. a little bit of everything for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Can you educate us a little bit on uh, Parkinson's disease? Uh, it starts out, and I, I try to be true to it in the book. Uh, it starts out as um, a, what they call a resting tremor. I would look down and I'd see my thumb doing this, tr- shaking. I'd wonder, uh, what, what's causing that? So I Googled it and it sounded like Parkinson's. So um, my, um, I have a friend who's a chiropractor and he said, go ask your doctor. My doctor says, that's not Parkinson's. 
So my friend said, ask for a second opinion. So I went to another uh, general practitioner. He said, no, that's not Parkinson's. Went back to my friend. I said, I guess I don't have Parkinson's. He said, ask for a neurologist. So then I went to a neurologist, and she, and within 10 minutes, she said, yes, you've got it. Because one side's slower than the other side and stiffer, and uh, that's kind of how it starts out. Eventually, if you don't uh, exercise, it keeps the, everything moving. Uh, you get stiff, really stiff, to the point where, um, as I say in the book, um, if, you, if you're like that and uh, you try walking across the street and you get by a truck, are your friends going to say, oh, he died of Parkinson's? Or are they going to say, he got hit by a truck? I would hope they'd say he got hit by a truck, but, you know. But it was because he was slowed down by his disease. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure if that works with downtown L.A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you got to sprint. <laughs> well, even just the, it's not even necessarily about that people walk out into traffic, yeah. you know, period. But a lot of people are cl- uh, saying they know how Parkinson's. Alan Alda, the actor, uh, Linda Ronstad, Neil Diamond, and uh, they, uh, Robin Williams had a form of it, and that's why he committed suicide. Really? So is it a neurological disease? How? Yeah, it's a neurological okay. disease. Uh, there's uh, like the sheath that uh, wires come in when you when you're wiring up your stereo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not that anybody does that anymore, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it uh, the, the coating on the wires start to wear off, and mm-hmm. then you get a lot of shorts, just like in electricity, and uh, it messes with your memory. Parkinson's another early symptom is something they call tip of the tongue syndrome where you're trying to find the word. And you would think it would be the real difficult words that you had to learn in college, but no, it's the simple words. I was trying to talk about a friend to my wife the other night, and for the life of me, I couldn't remember his name. And I had just seen him a couple hours before. Wow. It's, it's annoying as hell. How long ago did you find that out, and like, how has that changed your life? I was... Um, uh, diagnosed in uh, 2013, and I've done everything n- not to have it mess with my life. But at some point, as you can tell, my voice is, does weird things on me. I run out of air before I run out of sentence, and uh, that's partly my asthma, and the other part is the Parkinson's because it messes with your vocal cords, and that's why Linda Ronstadt won't ever sing again. Okay. Thank you for educating us on that. Oh, yeah. In fact, during the month of April, which is Parkinson's Awareness Month, if I'm doing any readings or things like that, I will have literature with me to pass along to people. Okay. So clearly it doesn't, you know, stop you from driving necessarily. <laughs> Not yet. Not it, yet. It, it probably got, will. And I was curious point. about that. Is there, right, um, as far as a longevity with the... Um, that they kind of give you on how, how long you can expect to drive or? No, because it's such an individualized okay. disease. Uh, everybody's symptoms uh, may progress a little bit differently. And uh, I may be okay for 10 years and all of a sudden get something, get some facet of it that's really bad, like dementia or whatever. All that's in the book. Uh, there's a problem with balance where you fall a lot, things like that, and break a bone or a hip. So those are the kinds of things I have to watch out for down the line. Okay. But, uh, yeah, the, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. And 
Uh, people can't get around the sex part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a rated R book. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Or maybe even, yeah, yeah. hard R. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you do have, you say, the Audible as well? Yeah, it's okay. it's uh, just came out last week. And uh, like I said, the guy's hoping to win some awards from it because uh, he works so damn hard on it. So this is your second book. Yep. Your first book. Can you tell us about your first book? Yeah, my second book took me only four months. This one took me four years. And this one is called Capitalism Killed the Middle Class, 25 Ways the System is Rigged Against You. Okay, mm. can you educate us or talk a little bit towards that? There's a couple of things in here that I uh, always uh, mention to people because uh, I, I'm surprised at how many people don't know about these things. Have you ever heard of the Powell Memo or the Powell Manifesto? I don't think I have. Mm, no. Lewis F. Powell uh, was a lawyer, uh, and uh, his claim to fame before he came up with this was he argued in front of the Supreme Court that uh, smoking was not addicting. <laughs> so we can already tell what kind of guy he's going to be. Uh, then um, he uh, was talking to a friend of his who was in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. He said, you know what? This is 1971. He says, we're tired of these hippies and uh, these vets coming back and saying the only reason... We're still in Vietnam is because we're making all sorts of money, which happened to be true. And he said, but we we need to uh, convince our business partners that uh, this is not good for business. So uh, the guy wrote up a 19-page memo where he uh, laid out clearly and distinctly how to uh, take over the conversation, make uh, chase off the hippies and the vets, and, and uh, make capitalism the hero again. So... Um, yeah, it, Nixon was so impressed with him, he appointed him to the Supreme Court. And Reagan uh, made copies of the uh, memo and gave it to all of his members of his cabinet. And uh, even Trump liked it. Every Republican president has has latched on to it. And it's been 40 years now, and I know it's working because I had a handyman come to the House a couple of months ago, and uh, one of the first things he said was, uh, unions have ruined this country. And I thought, where are we to get an idea like that? And it's the Powell Memo. It's it's still living and haunting us. Uh, there's this organization called ALEC that was formed by businesses after this came out. ALEC is uh, the American Legislative Exchange Council. What they'll do is they'll um, write a template for a law that they want passed to help out their uh, business buddies. Mm-hmm. And then they'll find somebody like in California who's pro-business and say, uh, can you put your name on this and run with this? <coughs> Excuse me. And the person will do that. And uh, then he'll gather his friends. And before you know it, it's a law in California. Then they'll move on to Nevada and get the law passed there. And pretty soon it's a federal law. So that's mm-hmm. one of the ways that they've uh, robbed us of our uh, rights. Uh, what I've con- uh, come up with is something I'm calling the McCrory Manifesto because nobody else is talking about it. So I might as well put my name on it. <laughs> and uh, what I said is we should gut that document, gut it completely, take out the word capitalism, put in maybe democratic socialists or something like that and take out business and put in workers or, or the people. And, and uh, we could easily uh, win that conversation back because it means going to the schools, the colleges and talking about our issues. And if it works right, 40 years from now, people will be saying, well, what do working people want? Instead of what do the banks want or you know, things like that. So I thought that was a, a really important uh, consideration. And I'm pushing that 
at the highest levels of the union movement that I can. It's it's quite the question when you can ask what do working people want, at least nowadays, because it's hard to know really kind of even what you can look at a, a one of the businesses and it says now hiring, but then they're still saying that people don't want to work or something and exactly. it kind of gets pretty confusing. And they also, uh, even your friends will say, those guys are greedy. That's all. That's the only reason they're on strike. And uh, where do you think they learned that from, from business? So mm-hmm. another thing I found in, uh, in my research on the book, and it started out as a memoir. It was just going to be about my time as a union president and the things that I'd seen when I was in the union movement, like uh, the air traffic controller debacle and all that. But I decided if I just make this a memoir and nobody knows me, who's going to buy it? So what I did was I made a part memoir, part um, tale of caution, I guess, cautionary tale, and part history lesson. So it talks about the roots of uh, the labor movement being in uh, socialism, which is true, and a lot of people deny that now. But uh, one of the other things I found when I was investigating the whole link to uh, the military was um, this Project 1033. It was originally... Uh, started uh, to fight the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. The, uh, they say that uh, they told the Department of Defense was told, if you have a surplus uh, guns, any equipment of any kind, you must offer it to local law enforcement at bargain basement prices. So um, LA Unified School District has three grenade launchers, 61 AR-15 rifles, <laughs> and it doesn't come with instructions. Uh, Why would yeah. they have that? The LA County Sheriff's Department bought 50 pairs of snowshoes. <laughs> that was very odd. They're doing up in yeah. Big Bear yeah. <laughs> for exactly. the summer. Yeah, that's where the, the next right. crime spree is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> the school having grenade launchers. Yeah, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, why would you even? So what is going on with the politics of um, like the homelessness and the school system stuff here in LA or in Southern California. Well, the homeless situation, there's going to be a lot of things on the upcoming ballot in June on how to handle homelessness. Uh, one of the things that the city has been able to do is they uh, go in and buy old hot hotels, fix them up and then um, move some of the homeless in. Um, I'll tell you, a lot of people became homeless after the earthquake because they didn't want to go back into any kind of building, thinking mm-hmm. that it might collapse on them. But uh, the ones that are out there now are, some of them are uh, show you the vestiges of what Reagan did when he was governor because he closed all the mental uh, hospitals. He said, uh, it's inhumane to put these people in mental hospitals and forget about them, but that wasn't what was happening. California, they had pretty good care, but uh, so all of a sudden those people were released out into the streets, and you still see some some of them, but uh, there's a whole new crop, and uh, I guess if I was homeless, California is where I'd want to be. Cause yeah, you can't really freeze to mm-hmm. death exactly, compared to... Yeah. LA, Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Seen I've seen, like, in the short time we've been here, I've seen a lot of, like, politicians or people in in government have ideas or say they're going to change homelessness in or that being uh, one of their priorities but I don't I don't know if it has changed 
in in my view, what do you think are some of the challenges with trying to fix homelessness in LA? Um, well, the fact that LA is one of the most expensive places in the country to live yeah. doesn't help any. Uh, it's not like the Bay Area, though. The Bay Area, we pale in comparison to the rates that they pay up there. But um, yeah. yeah, that's one of the things we need to subsidize housing. Um, George Carlin once said a long time ago that they should shut down all the golf courses because it's just a bunch of um, you know rich old white men playing golf and uh, make that, that uh, homes for the homeless there. Mm. <laughs> I don't think the idea went over too well. Yeah, they <laughs> they don't like that one. That's no, so <laughs> but uh, I've got friends. Uh, There's a coalition for economic survival. A friend of mine, Larry Gross, runs that. He's run it for years, and and uh, he says if we can keep the, keep the lobbyists out of uh, Sacramento or or even downtown L.A., then we have a, a fighting chance to, to get some real progressive laws put into place to protect uh, those people and get them off the streets. Because they don't want to be there. We don't want them to be there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But we have to come up with some humane way to, uh, to help get them off the street. Uh, in my book, one of the uh, chapters in the capitalism book is called Homelessness and Housing and Homelessness. And... Um, I talked to a friend of mine who was homeless at the time. It was his third time to be homeless, and he uh, opened my eyes on a lot of things. He said, uh, one of the things you do when you first become homeless is you put all your stuff into storage, thinking uh, this is only going to be a temporary thing, and I'll come and get my stuff later. And then when they finally lose all that stuff, it's when it hits them really hard that I'm really, really homeless now. Mm. What percentage would you would you say is mentally ill, just can't afford to pay a place, and just insist, you know, just kind of knucklehead, more like just a drug addict or yeah, I, 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 I knew you were going to go a, there. Classic. Yeah, there's a separation between you know I could say mentally ill and you know a, a drug addiction. Oh yeah, there's a definitely big big difference, and uh, one of the things that seems to be working is uh, in a lot of these places, they're also putting uh, um, right uh, over upstairs or, or right close to the, the uh, place where they're housing them, they're putting in uh, a one-stop shop for um, benefits so that you can qualify for, like um, uh, the chip for uh, for kids to have food. That's one thing they're doing. They're putting all, all those in right next to the place so that the services that they need are right there when they need them. And that's a, uh, that's a brilliant idea. And I, I see more of that happening. And uh, I think that um, there's a serious effort in this town to uh, do something about this um, a problem. And uh, I, I've been to Republican uh, little enclaves that talk about, uh, well, the problem is uh, those people are stealing from us and, and uh, ruining our property values and all this. They're not even looking at it in a humane way. And uh, that's what we have to do is realize that those people are, are humans and they were once um, prosperous and, and, and uh, had families and, and all this. And, and uh, all they want is to uh, get back to something that we call normal. If you could put a price tag on the solution. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say for downtown L.A. We won't even have to say for Venice or not even for San Francisco, just for this area just for a skid row if that was actually a price tag on the solution to 
millions, millions and millions. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the such uh, a lot a lot of the um, there's a company called Blackstone that uh, that owns most of the housing market that's out there for for rentals, and they will do anything to make sure that uh, that's not subsidized. That they make a decent buck on that. And a lot of people paint it as <clears throat> some doctor retired and he bought a an extra house so he could uh, make some re- excuse me rental uh, um, cash of income and uh, it turned out that uh, it's not really that it's this company this large mega corporation that is buying all these houses up and and they're asking a pretty penny for them so if we can uh, f- change some of the laws there's something up in Sacramento they've been fighting for years called the um, I think it's Hawk Costa Hawkins Co- Jim Costa is a Democrat and Hawkins. I don't even remember who Hawkins was because this was back, passed back in the seventies, where they said uh, that uh, you could uh, you couldn't make um, you couldn't go into a city and make uh, uh, most of the housing Section Eight or whatever that you could only have a small percentage uh, be housing for the poor mm-hmm. because of course that would change the property values, and uh, every time that uh, my friend Larry goes up to Sacramento fight this he has uh, been gravely disappointed because they're fighting so hard to make sure that the corporations stay on top and uh, they don't care about these people so it's a sad state of affairs in los angeles and in california in general and i hope it changes someday soon yeah hopefully we've seen a the shuffle around since we've been here over the past four years just in this area and you know, it's, it's it's hard to figure out. Yeah, we just we haven't seen. Yeah, I, I ran for a state assembly in San Fernando Valley twice, twenty oh eight and twenty thirteen, and um, at one debate that we did, uh, this guy who was uh, head of the Democratic Party at the time said, "Well, what are you going to do if this?" And he said about the homeless situation. And he also talked about some other situation that would hurt people. He said, "Where do you decide?" And I said, "So you're going to make me." kill my brother to save my sister? That's not right. I said, there's got to be a way around that. He said, those are kind of tough decisions that they make every day in Sacramento. Yeah. Let's say that a group of rich guys woke up and were feeling good one day, and let's say, hey, we're going to create this price tag to move some things around. Who would that disturb if an individual group of people were to say, all right, we're going to take our pocket profit and try to move towards, you know, handling this problem? What would even be the steps if, let's say, you just had that kind of money and you say, all right, I want to I go at this independently and see if I can make a change somewhere. How would that work? Uh, well, there are people that are doing that, uh, very limited in scope and number. But, uh, yeah, they, they, there's different ways of doing it. If you do it the wrong way, then you end up with a – a lot of people are dependent on that uh, money coming in, and all of a sudden it gets cut off because he's he's moved on to another project or whatever. So um, you have to find a way to make it uh, where you put seed money in and it becomes uh, self-funding after a while. There's different ways to do that, and uh, believe me, richer people than me know how to do that. And yeah. um, that's what it requires. It requires a, a plan and... Uh, 
the right amount of seed money to make it uh, thrive rather than and die after he's moved on to some other project. Is there are there a lot of shelters out here? Uh, yes, there are a lot of shelters. Um, if you're a single man, uh, you're not as lucky as uh, because they're, they're, a lot of them are geared to uh, women and families. Yeah, and uh, that's, a, that's a good thing because those are the most vulnerable people that you need to get off the street. Yeah. When I was in college, I decided to do something, a little video about the homeless. And this friend and I went down to Skid Row. And this woman walked up to us and she was acting all crazy and everything. I thought, wow, is she going to attack us or talk to us? And she sat down and all of a sudden she became a regular person. Yeah. And she said, you have to do that. Or people are going to rape you or beat you up, all those kinds of things. So for women, it's really tough. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't look yeah. at it like that, but I guess, yeah. Because I always thought also even the solution would be a combination of not just providing shelter, but you have to have like a trans, some some way to help them transition, right? Right, those services like, I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, whether it's getting a job, um, getting clothes to go interview and having connections with different companies that will help, you know, get people back on their feet and exactly something like that. I think it would have to be a combination of things. Yep, there are companies out there that are helping uh, Macy's. We are actually doing a project in a nonprofit I'm involved in called the AT&T Pioneers. Uh, we um, have been giving... Uh, prom dresses to girls that wouldn't be able to go to the prom, wouldn't be able mm -hmm. to afford a dress. So we give them makeup and get their hair styled and give them a nice gown that they get to keep. And and um, uh, that uh, is a, a warm feeling. And some of those girls come from broken homes or are from this close to uh, being uh, on the street. And, and anything that you can build their, their self-esteem with is uh, doing the right thing. I can say I don't see a lot of kids as far as, or children, as, you know, on the streets or in, you know. Yeah, that, that, thank that's goodness for that. Huh? Things, yeah. It's but more uh, of, yeah, down adults. Skid Row, there's actually an elementary school down there, and they built it there so that the homeless kids would have a, a close and safe place to go to for school. Mm. Okay. And we definitely would like to shout out um, all of the organizations that help with you know, downtown LA and the homeless communities, because there are a lot of people daily that are putting in work, you know, helping people and stuff down there. Yeah, I'm on uh, the uh, community advisory board of my local PBS station. And one of the things that we do every year is we have something called uh, the uh, Unsung Heroes Award. And we look for people in the, in the community that have done something like that or, or helped uh, vets get off the street, whatever it is to... Uh, to help our communities, and uh, we recognize those people with uh, on-air uh, congratulations, and and uh, the the uh, we have one person who is the main winner who gets uh, I, I forget if we give them a contribution for their um, agency or not, but uh, it's a good way to uh, raise awareness for people that don't get any kind of recognition for what they do out there. Yeah. I don't know any right off the top, but I've seen a few, and I've even went through there and taken a few pictures and stuff like that. But, yeah, there are a lot of people that, you know,
they they change a lot of lives out there when by helping those people. They feed the homeless and different things like that. And another, I guess, um, Mercedes, who is the co-host, she's participated in a lot of those organizations and stuff that help um, feed the homeless. It's a good feeling. Yes. And uh, there's the LA Food Bank. Uh, we go. Uh, my organization goes down there at least once a year to to fill boxes for uh, for folks and and um, there's so many ways you can be involved in the city. Yeah, I used to um, street perform down at Seventh and Fig. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed yeah, for about a year and a half. Yeah, and kind of closed out last year, but mm-hmm. it was an amazing experience. A lot of you know, as far as <laughs> a lot of I've I've, I've basically humbled by a lot of the actions from homeless people just from them knowing the, um, the culture of street performing and they walk by and dig in their pocket and just for whatever and would put it in the bucket oh, you know, and you know that they necessarily you know clearly they're homeless but I, I, I got that often you know and I know it's a, a warm feeling for me it was motivating to be able to even just be able to put on a show for a lot of the homeless people that I know that would never probably be able to to attend a show yeah that's true yeah so thank you for that it's quite the experience yes thank you um so any ideas on that you'd like to share with us about your next book that you have in mind well i'm trying to decide what to do really um in 2020 i was for some reason Published in a book called uh, uh, The Anthology of uh, California's Best Emerging Poets. I never consider myself a poet, but hey, there's that. And I've written a couple of scripts, and, and they were um, they got to quarterfinalist status, which means that uh, one you're with the top one third of whoever sent them a script. So nice. That's a good thing too. But always a what the hell does that go? Uh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> You go through, like, a lot of different genres. What's your favorite genre to write in? What I would like it to be is science fiction because Mm -hmm. that's what I grew up on. I went from comic books to to real books, uh, sci-fi. and uh, But uh, for the life of me, I'm not very good at it. I've written a couple of time travel things and stuff like that, but that's about it. But um, the most rewarding is uh, the, uh, the nonfiction stuff. And um, that's probably where I'm going to go next. This one, I uh, was a finalist in uh, something in the UK called the Page Turner Awards. Uh, they probably didn't give it to me because uh, there's a lot of typos in here, but <laughs> but at least they recognize good writing when they see it. So, <laughs> so uh, you do the printing process yourself as far as you know, hire editors and anything like that that, um, that you want to blame for the. <laughs> Well, I did have one person look it over, but uh, there's a lot of concepts in there that unless you come from the union movement, you wouldn't know what they were. So uh, I, I, I'll take the blame for the way the book turned out. And uh, the sequ- uh, I've got two sequels planned for that, and there really isn't a sequel to the novel because, well, I can't tell you. <laughs> anyway. It's, 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 Spoiler it's, alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, I do have more stories to tell about uh, um, Morocco. I have one that I'm working on. Uh, it's called um, Morocco, Moroccan Sunset. Morocco actually means sunset in, mm. in French. Uh, and it's about uh, a guy. He's been living with a woman for 15 years. 
She is an heir to a uh, shoe fortune, and she dies on the 405 freeway. And so um, her parents, her parents, her mother wants him out of that house immediately because it's worth so much money. And um, and then in the meantime, he gets a check that wasn't expected uh, from uh, his uh, lover's law- lawyer for $2 million. So he says, uh, I promise that uh, next time we went back to Morocco, I was going to rebuild what they call a Riyadh, which is a traditional way of living in, in Morocco. So he goes there and he finds out that the person he thought he knew um, was not the person that uh, people in Morocco knew because she went through some traumatic things while she was there. She went away for a, a month to uh, grieve her, her father's uh, death. Mm. And while she was there, she uh, uh, saved a man from drowning and uh, he later committed suicide because he couldn't, as a Muslim, he couldn't face the fact that his life was saved by a woman. Oh, man. And um, things like that, things that are based on real stuff that happened, but uh, mm. put in the context of fiction, I guess you might say. And um, but the the sequels to this uh, capitalism book are uh, Rebuilding Union, which is, I mean, now is our moment under Joe Biden. We've seen a resurgence in the labor movement, and that's a good thing because people that um, the millennials seem to uh, know that um, being in a union is a no-brainer. It's the only way you're going to have any kind of security in your life and be able to have a piece, your piece of the American dream. And uh, so the next book after that is called uh, um, Capitalism Kills the Global Edition. And, uh, because I was told when I was writing this one by a friend of mine who's a, a big wig at a union in Geneva, Switzerland, that uh, this, this is uh, America's answer to these problems. It's not the way we're handling in Europe. So uh, the Global Edition compares uh, Morocco, Thailand, if that sounds familiar, I don't know why, uh, France, um, and I think Canada is the other one. Uh, and, and it shows that, uh, it, 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 asks, it begs the question, are we, um, are we better off by protecting uh, our middle class and treating our middle class right so that we become um, big in the global market or it doesn't make any difference at all? So um, it's an interesting question, and there's uh, all sorts of research that's done by the UN every year about um, what constitutes uh, a good life. <laughs> a good work life. What they balance. say is, it's a if you're free from want, if you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from, if you've got a roof over your head, those are all the basics that we should all have. Yeah, and yeah. grateful, the gratitude for them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, before we get ready to close it out, would you like to share with the audience um, about links to where they can find all of your material? Uh, what's yeah, sure. <laughs> there is, um, and there also be um, links below in the description that they can click on as well. well thanks. So. There's something or called, any projects. You have okay. Yeah. There's a thing called hostingauthors.com/slash my name Dan McCrory, and you got to spell it right or it won't work. D a n m c c r o r y and uh, it's uh, got a link to my two books and talks a little bit about them. But uh, you can go anywhere to buy uh, either book. Um, they're available on uh, the usual places, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all those. And, and um, they're, um, I'm looking for reviews. I really need reviews on the books. I've got 13 five-star reviews on this one. 
and so far I have three on this one. So nothing less than a five has come in, and I don't know if that's because I threaten them or <laughs> or because they really like me, or maybe my book. I don't know. But uh, yeah, they're. Um, I'm really anxious to see what people think of the the um, audio book because that's a new venture for me. And uh, it's sort of, it's like I was doing a reading in a bookstore uh, uh, last month and I was reading from this book and I thought I found a pretty safe passage to read. And all of a sudden, uh, and I had a, my own little portable speaker that I take everywhere. And all of a sudden you could hear all, all through the store, dick pick. <laughs> so, i'm sure there was a silence like huh yeah <laughs> did you read your audio book uh no i okay. got a professional okay. and uh there's a website called acx.com if you are considered doing that, I think I've heard of that you guys have the voices for it um, yeah you, they uh you yeah. do an audition a little audition on there and somebody says, oh, I like that voice. I, I want to use that one for my book. And then you um, negotiate. You can either get so much pay per hour of reading the book. Mine comes out to almost five hours. Or, <coughs> excuse me, or you can have um, uh, enter into an agreement where they get a percentage. And I didn't want to spend uh, $10,000 on this guy, even though he's really great. And he said, that's okay, I'll, I'll take a... Um, a percentage and because i think i can win all sorts of awards with this hmm. he was, he was very nice. impressed he says i believe in this book so nice nice yeah nice. i'm well, curious to see what you guys say about it we'll yeah. definitely have to check out you know you have you said the audio so that helps with me i'm more of a listener than as yeah. far as a reader i understood that most people nowadays don't have time to sit down and read a book most of the time uh, but they spend a lot of time in their cars yeah, it's some yeah. things that I have to read and some things that, you know, it's easier to probably listen to as I move about. Yeah, I got a lot of questions about capitalism. Are you going to turn that into an audio book? And I said, no, there's no way. <laughs> this is almost 400 pages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'll be a nice read. Yeah. <coughs> well, <coughs> congratulations me. on the success of your projects as well. Um, Thanks. The completion. Um Thank you again to coming in for coming in um, yeah. in studio. We always appreciate when people come in and share energy with us in studio. We like to thank our guests, um, our listeners, um, our supporters, and, our donators. Sorry. And to the <laughs> podcast, you can find us at americangypsy.com. And there you'll find all the episodes, guest information, links to our merch at luamli.com. And a sample of Classics Music. You can find some music under Classic, K-L-A-C-C-I-K-C-A-R-P-E-N-T-A. That's on Spotify, iTunes, Tidal, YouTube, all major platforms. Um, some uh, instrumental um, cello stuff, some instrumental electronic music under the American Gypsy soundtrack. And we also have some vocal uh, singles that I've released. Um, what do you nice think of listening. two cellos? I'm sorry. What two do you think of two cellos? I have very, you know, very talented guys. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really I was wondering. Talented. I've never talked to a cello player, so I had to get that question in. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're definitely amazing chemistry that they have together. Oh, a lot of my stuff, by the way, is on TikTok. So if there's a certain concept in the book that you don't understand, or you just want more information, uh, I'm on TikTok, and I think okay. I'm one of just a few writers who are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
usually people are like, oh, those are something young people use. I didn't exactly. know people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like TikTok. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Dan, thank for you. being on the podcast and such a genuine conversation. Um, we can always invite you back. You know, we we don't have, we usually say, um, or when we're on Zoom, if you're ever in L.A., but you're here in L.A., so yes, definitely like to have you back in the future. Um, Thanks. I'd be glad to come back. Yes. Thank you to everyone. Consistent self-improvement and peace. peace.